So if you're just joining us, let me say here that one of the things we do as a church is we, we go through the Bible. And so that's what we've been doing, going through the book of Colossians here. So just get us all on the same page, make sure that we're all uh, caught up. Paul the Apostle wrote this. He wrote it from prison to a newly planted church. And here's what happened. There was some, uh, some creeps that were creeping into the church. And what they were doing is they were starting, you know, to, to undermine what was happening. The church was doing well, like a lot of churches do well. But then they started to go sideways a bit because there was these compelling sounding concepts that were being uh, perpetuated there in the church of Colossae which is in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And so what Paul did then is he, he hears about it in prison. God speaks to him and says, you need, to, you need to speak to the church and coach them up, you know, and teach them to think and talk to them about Jesus. And so that's what he does. So over the last two chapters that we read there, what was happening was Paul is giving them doctrine and teaching, you know, and telling them about the person of Christ and the work of Christ, that he's sufficient and he's supreme and he's all you need. And it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And this is who Jesus is. And so he talks to him. He says, you know what? He is the, the invisible God, but you need to know that he's God there. He's a, the fullness of God dwells in Christ in his body there. He's eternal. He existed before all things here. And so he says he's the head of the church. And so he's laying out all this doctrine and teaching to kind of get them back on the, on the straight and narrow there. And now what he does here is he's going to stop. He's going to stop doing that. And he's going to turn and he's going to pivot. And he's going to pivot. And he says, now, if that's true, here's what you need to do. You need to do something with this. And he's going to talk about here's how you live the new life here. And so what we're going to look at is going to look at these scriptures inspired by God, okay? And so uh, and he's going to talk about, here's what you need to do to reach your full potential. Does anybody here want to reach your full potential? Come on, do you want to reach your full potential? He's going to talk to us. He's going to give us six ways that you can reach your full potential. He's going to tell you things you need to stop doing. He's going to tell you things you need to start doing. I just have to say, this is one of those passages where there's a little bit of the squirm factor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A little bit of the squirm. Okay, a little bit of the squirm factor. A little confrontive here, okay? And so he says, look, this is what it looks like. And so if you're new to church and you're thinking, you know, I'm here, I don't know about church. This is what it looks like then to be a Christ follower. If you've been here, been in church forever, these are some reminders here. You will be better at life. If you're returning to church, this here's, it's a tune up. It's a restart. So you ready? You ready? Verse one, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. He says, since you've been raised to life in Christ. In other words, he's assuming everyone has had this experience here. I'm not making that assumption. I know some of us, you know, you're new to church. You not don't necessarily have been raised to this new relationship with Christ here. But what he's saying here is, look, okay, what he's saying is, if you're raised to life in Christ. In other words, you've received the new life that only Jesus can give. Okay, and it's been personal for you here. It's real for you. That, he's saying that resonates in your heart here that you've been raised to life. In other words, you have received the wrath 
self-absorbing sacrifice of Jesus on the cross here, and it's personal for you. And the Christ who was crucified for you, for your sin, you've received that, you've been raised to new life. He says, if that's you, I want to talk to you. If that's you, he says, I've got some things for you to do here, and here is how you live. And then he says this, now set your sights on heaven. I'd like us to think about that for a moment here, because our sights, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every morning and go, yeah, my sights are set on heaven, you know? Am I the only one or am I in good company here? Okay, you don't do that. We just wake up, and my sights are set on, you know, it's like, oh, okay, what do I got to do today? And, you know, and, and so and you get overwhelmed, you know, by all your earthly responsibilities here. So what he's saying is this. When you have new life in Christ, your focus changes, okay? It alters the focus of your life, okay? And in your notes here, point number one, to live the new life, <clears throat> look up, look up to Jesus. Point number one, look up to Jesus. And so what he's saying is this, he's saying, look, when you become a Christ follower, your heart, your mind, your eyes, your affections, okay, are, become centered uh, on him. And so then what happens is your goal in life, your pursuit is to know him, to walk with him, that he might shape me, that he might keep chiseling away at me, transforming me here. And so it's this dynamic here. But your natural focus is to be consumed with what is going on in the earthly the temporal stuff, rather than the eternal, keeping your eyes on Jesus. It's like this. I kept wrestling and wrestling and wrestling with this, thinking, you know, how, how, do, I, how do I say this? How do we explain this? Here's how, here's how it is. It's like God is in heaven and looking down at you this morning, going like, hey, like, yeah, like you. Yeah, like you're having problems. You need help. You got marriage problems, kids problems, financial problems. You got all these problems. Hey, would you like look at me? I've got wisdom. I can help you. I can strengthen you. I just need to get a little bit of this going on, right? Oh, okay. Now I got your attention. So I said, look, would you just look up at Christ here? And so saying in heaven where Christ sits. In other words, Jesus is alive. He's alive here and right now, and he's seated in God's kingdom at the right hand of God. And so there he is. So look up. Okay, number one. Secondly, verse two says this. Think, or in other words, set your mind on. Okay, continuing the thought. Set your mind on the things of heaven, not the things on earth. In other words, okay, your thinking, your cognitive capacity, your mindset, your focus here. The Bible says, let your mind be renewed, the transforming of your mind through God's word there. Okay, it doesn't mean this. Doesn't mean, you know, like you got your head in the clouds, you know. That's not what it's talking about here. It says like, but, but your focus, your thinking, you're living for God. Okay, you are approaching life through God's way here. Uh, Jesus is at the center of your life, okay, because you've been raised a new life. Verse 3. Now watch. Why? For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. So I want to I want to press down a uh, a little bit here. It says because you've received his sacrifice, okay, okay, as payment for you know your rap sheet of sin, all the things you've done there. This is what's happened. This great exchange has now happened, and so it's a new reality. You've moved from death to life, from an old the old man to the new man. You've been 
the Bible speaks of being reborn okay, to a new life. The Spirit of God is in you. Now, now you're connected to Jesus. You're united to Jesus here. So your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, now through Christ, you, you have this relationship with him. But here's my question. If that's true, how does that work it out in your life? I mean, what, what does that look like? What does that look like in your life? Is my life really in Christ? I think the reality is this. It can expose you a little bit. It can expose you because it's easy to play games with God. And this is what I mean. See, you can have this approach like, yeah, you know what? I go to church. Yeah, my life is in Christ. Well, well okay, well, how? What, is, what does that look like? Okay, uh, does it affect how you behave, how you act, what you say? You know, and see, you, you can be a church person. You can know all the right answers. But that doesn't mean that your life is really in Christ. Okay, that means you go to church. And so he, so he begins to press here on these people saying, okay, if your life really is in Christ, okay, are you legitimately pursuing him? Is what he's saying here. Like, okay, and part of that pursuing him is that we're here today and we're pursuing him. Right on. Okay, but what about Monday? Okay, are we pursuing him on Monday? Okay, in other words, okay, if your real life is hidden with Christ, is there a seriousness about your life following Christ here? Who is your life? In other words, like, are you growing in him? You know, uh, are you being transformed? You know, is there a, a dynamic there? You know, is your heart being stirred up? And so we continue in verse four where he says, and when Christ, who is your life? And so he's saying, has that happened yet? Okay. Uh, he says, he'll be revealed again. He'll, he'll appear to the whole world and you'll share in his glory. In other words, um, Christ, who is your life? Do you have a Christ-centered life there? He's saying, look, he appeared before. There was an advent. You know, we celebrate Christmas. He will appear again, is what he's saying here. And so Christ, who is revealed, tells us he'll appear again. He's coming back here. And so we have incredible hope in the hope of his, of his return here. And it changes how we live today. And so the next thing he's going to say here is like, it's a little hard, okay? I just want to acknowledge that. It's, uh, there's no wiggle room here. Uh, it's like, uh, could you say it another way? No, I'm just going to say it. And this is what he says. To live the new life, in your notes, kill sin. To live your new life, kill sin. So he says, look, there's some things that as you go down the road, you need to commit kind of to the cemetery of your existence here. And so he says, you know, what does it look like to have a new life? What does it look like? Well, read with me in verse 5 on the screens. It says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Um, thanks for the great encouragement there, Paul. Thank you for the encouragement. We love the encouragement. But he's saying, hey, do away with, do away with sin. So let's talk about this. Because he's not saying like, hey, you have another option. There's no, there's no wiggle room. There's no other options here if you want to live the new life here. And so, uh, do I have to do this? Because, you know, sin feels so good. That's why we do it. Because that's why it's so popular in culture. You know, it's incredibly popular to sin because it's so much fun. The Bible even says that. It says there's pleasure in it. There's pleasure in sin for a season. 
And then, 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 then you're addicted and you're a mess and all that. So he says, look, says, look, either your sin dies or there will be the death to you. In your notes there, whatever is killing your relationship with God, he says, you got to put that thing to death. Okay, because look, there's not a lot of options. Look, unless you, you put it to death, it's going to undermine and kill your relationship to God. And also in your notes, Jesus died for your sins so you could put your sins to death, that he could give us power over that. So now he's going to give us, he's going to give us a little list here of the sins. And they're all related to sex, sexual. Okay, so uh, he said, look, here's some things to remove, to avoid. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. All those things can wreck your relationships. Okay, and God who loves you says, look, I don't want you to wreck your life, so I'm just going to tell you right now not to do these things. It says, don't be greedy, for a greedy person actually is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. So, let me ask this. Is this, could this perhaps be, could this perhaps be a little window into culture, into American culture. Could it be? Just, could it be that those things written thousands of years ago could actually be timeless and that they're true today? Could be, huh? So thank you for the soft yes. So says, you know what? There's greed. Is there much greed going on in corporate America, you know, in our culture, you know? So greed is, I have to have it, you know? I want it and I'll get it at at any cost here, you know? So it's that, that's that, that passion and that drivenness and that ruthlessness to get what you want here. And so greed is a desire to, to have just more with a disregard to its implications. And so uh, I got to have that thing, you know, that X, Y, or Z, that spouse, that girlfriend, that, that boyfriend, that body, that experience, you know, uh, whatever it is, you know, say, so, and he says, you know what, there's this relationship thing going on between a, a greed and idolatry. And how can that be? Well, here's how it can be. The last thing he mentions is idolatry. So God looks down and he sees people, he sees them worshiping all these other things, this greed and worshiping these things other than him. I mean, it could be entertainment, it could be your job. In my family, you know what it was? It was success. The Collins family, for generations, we bowed at the, the God, the altar of success. And do you think, you know, that, that I have not struggled with that over the years? Yes, I have. That it wouldn't be an idol in, in my own life here. And so, but all of us, we have, all of us, you know, someone once said that your heart, it's an idol-producing machine. All of us were bent towards idolatry, but we don't see it. See, it's there, we just don't see it. And so, anyway, so it says, look, put to death these earthly things here. And so... The immorality, the impurity, the lust, the evil desires. So when it comes to the new life, it says, look, it's going to have an impact on you. And here's the impact. Here's the impact. It comes to expression in the area of intimacy. 
That's where it comes to expression. All these things are pointing to that here. Immorality is, you know, it, it is what it is. You know what it is. You know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's sex outside of marriage there, you know. And uh, it has to do with sex in general. Impurity or gro- kind of it's more gross. Like, wh- like, wow, that's like crossing the line. That's like gross, you know, uh, practices. Passion, passion's good. But he's talking about passion in the wrong direction here. How many of you know it's good to have passion? But passion can get out of control and can kill your life. You know what I'm talking about? When I was a kid, I loved snow sports. And I always, you know, did snow sports. Every chance I get, do, do snow sports. One of the things I do is sledding. I love to sled, you know. So I'd go up to the local mountains here, up in Big Bear, sledding. One time, big snow, I'm on the sled and I'm flying, man. It's like, yeah, you know, it's in my passion. I'm flying on the sled, you know. And all of a sudden, I realize, like, I'm not going to make the turn. I'm not going to make the turn. And I can see the cars going across the road. I think, oh, this could be it for Rod Collins. I'm a little kid. And I go flying over this little berm and I fly right across the road. I can see the cars coming. I can see the brakes hitting the brakes. Got so close to me, I could see the chains uh, on the tires. It came that close to losing my life. My passion out of control almost cost me my life. And that's what he's saying here. Like, look, there are passions, but passions can go in the wrong direction and can cost you your life here. And, though, and you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is it is that there is science behind this. See, and if you give science enough time, it'll always catch up to the scriptures. So there's science here, and here's the science. In the science of neurobiology, uh, neurophysiology, uh, addiction studies, smart people in white coats, you know, that do all the research, John Hopkins University, and all. The latest, the latest brain science indicates this. Is that if you engage in, in intimacy, there are neurotransmitters, there are, uh, opioids, there are oxy, uh, that's released from the brain. These are incredibly powerful brain chemicals, uh, pleasure chemicals. It says when you begin to engage in that, uh, you get so bonded to that person there that, uh, that you can't almost unbond yourself there because you think like you've had all these feelings that your brain not only does uh, through pleasure, does, it, does your brain release oxytocin, but then that causes a cascade of all these other brain chemicals to be released. And your brain's going like, ho, 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 yeah, you know, and uh, and yet maybe you met this person, you got intimate with them. It's like, oh, but this is not a good fit here. And this is a bad match, but your brain chemicals are going, yeah, yeah, go, go. You know, some of the same chemicals that, uh, that are released from the brain uh, when a person takes heroin, you know, they become heroin addicts because of all the pleasure released from the brain. And so God is saying, like, God who loves it, oh, uh, you don't know about your brain in a couple thousand years. You, the, the scientists will sort it out. But you don't understand that. But you can't go down those roads there because of what's going to happen inside you. It'll wreck you. And you, you, you can hardly recover from that. And so God then, he's, he lovingly puts guardrails on his creation because he knows best. It's like God's a loving father, right? How many, you got kids, people have kids here. How many people have kids, okay? So we have kids, you know what? And uh, you've got kids, do your kids always love your rules? Do they think your rules are good for them? You know, dad, I just want to, just want to drink, you know, uh, Mountain Dew till three in the morning and light off, you know, fireworks in my room. Why are you being, why are you being so restrictive? 
Um, not good, you know, like for the house, you know, like the implication. That's not, not good. Oh, you know, I just want to drink Mountain Dew. I just want to light up fireworks. I just want to stay up all night. Okay. And so God is a loving father and says like, um, <clears throat> time out. Uh, you don't, you don't understand all the, all the, uh, um, the science and the, uh, the, uh, neurophysiology, uh, that goes on inside your brain. You, you may never understand the total implications of that, but here's what, here's what you need to do. He said, look, I reserve, uh, this intimacy for marriage and there's a reason why I do that. And so number six here, he says, because of these sins, here's the motivation. There are consequences. The anger of God is coming. The anger of God is coming. You see, he's saying the wrath of God is coming. It means, it says, look, watch, watch, watch. Is coming. Is coming. It is coming. It's not here yet, but it is coming. And so we don't, we don't realize that. In American culture, see, God is warning us about something that is bad for you. Okay, and he's saying, look, it's coming. It's not here yet. And so in American culture, we blow that off. We don't think it's ever going to come. We don't think it's ever going to come. So I live, you know, San Timoteo Canyon. I live by the train tracks. And so for 14 years, I've been listening to the trains. You have, you've been over my house. You can see the trains from my house. You can see them going by. I hear them every day. If you, if I was, if you were playing on the train tracks and, uh, and you were there in the middle of those tracks, you know, I'd say to you, Hey, you know what? I know you think you can stay here forever. And I know there's been no trains in sight, but just please believe me. I've been living here 14 years. I know what I'm talking about. See the train every day. Hear the train every day. The train is coming. Well, the train hasn't been here for three days. I think I'll just do what I want. I'm, I'm telling you the train is coming. Okay, you don't have to believe me, but take it to the bank. It's coming. It says here, look, you may not, you don't have to believe me, but, but listen, the Bible says this, okay, because of these sins, the anger, the wrath of God, it is coming. There, there's a day when it will come here. But I think, you know, uh, we, we fail to realize that the day is coming, though God is patient, that it'll be like, okay, that's done here. And although his love is abounding, the day is coming here where it will be over and the sky will crack, you know, and, uh, and God will come back to judge, you know, uh, the earth and there'll be no place to hide here. And so in all wickedness and evil and rebellion and all that, forget you, God, you know, I'll do life my own way. I'm smarter than you. You know, you could take it to hell, God. I'll, I'll live life on my own terms. God's coming to judge that someday, okay? It is coming here. And so in your notes there, okay, to live the new life, like we need to listen. We need to listen to God's warnings. And so, but he says, for those that are in Christ here, you have a champion, okay? It's like, oh, you know, it's coming. Like, I need somebody that's going to pay for it in full, like, I need my sins to be covered. And Jesus was like, yes, I absorbed that. I paid for that. What was due, I paid in full here. And the wrath of God has already been taken care of and diverted in Christ. And if you're in Christ, no wrath of God for you. But there's still the same, the same impact of sin, though his wrath doesn't come to expression. If you do those things... Okay, you will suffer just like uh, Christ follower, not Christ follower. You'll suffer the same consequences, but you won't experience this wrath that he's talking about here. It says, for watch, you used to do these things when your life was part of this world. So it says, look, your life has changed. You don't run off the old fuel here. Those things which used to define you. 
they don't define you anymore. There is a man by the name, maybe you've heard of him, named St. Augustine. I don't know if you've heard of St. Augustine. One of, the, one of the great theologians ever to live in the third century. Uh, he had appalling brilliance about him. Uh, he wrote all kinds of books, confessions, you know, St. Augustine and all. And uh, uh, over five million of his words are in print. Okay, This guy's like significant okay, in history. Five million of his words are still in print. St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a womanizer. And St. Augustine would go around Milan, Italy, and he had, he had his women. You know what I'm saying? He had a child with one of them uh, that later died in history. And so one time he's walking through Milan, Italy. He's walking through there after he experienced a conversion, and he became a Christ follower. And uh, this woman that he had been with many times, you know, illicit, you know, had been with many times, she said to him, Augustine, Augustine. It is I. It is I. And she was following him through, through Milan there. It is I. You know, and wouldn't, and he's trying to avoid her, you know, and he's just trying to, to walk because now he's become a, a Christ follower and he doesn't, he can't, you know, he can't live in that lifestyle anymore. Augustine, it is I. Finally, he, he couldn't, he couldn't do anything else. And Augustine stopped and he, and he looked at her and he said, yes. But it is no longer I. It is no longer, I, I'm not the same man. And, and I would say to us, what he's saying here is that, look, you know, your old life would scream out to you and say, hey, come with me, follow me. You know this well-worn path. Come and say, come, it is I, it is I. See, but Christ in you says, oh, yes, but it is no longer I. I'm now in Christ, my life hidden in him. So watch. To do the new life, you know, uh, uh, do anger differently in your notes there. To live the new life, you do anger differently. Now he's going to give us another sin sampler. But it is time to get rid of, okay, anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. <laughs> so last week, um, I finished the message and... Uh, I walked down here, you know, I was going to catch up with everybody outside. And this guy uh, says to me, wanted to encourage me, you know. And he says, hey, Rod, that was really good. S8, you know, it's an excrement. And so uh, he said, that was really good. And I said, well, thanks, you know. And so, um, but you know what? It's so reflexive and it's so deep within us that we don't sometimes even realize that what he's talking about here, where he says, you know, language that would be transformed here as you walk with Christ. And so he talks about rage, you know, and think about these things. Not a day goes by, not a day goes by where you don't read and you don't hear in the news that is a reflection of this very verse right here. The fact that people don't know how to handle their issues, don't know how to handle their anger. Their rage, crazy eyes, you know, you see the crazy eyes, uh, maybe road rage, you know, people flipping you off, you know. And so here's the reality of what he's talking about. I've got issues and you've got issues. I didn't think I had anger issues, you know, until I had kids. And then when I had kids, I got anger issues because I would get angry 
at my kids. And you know, when I stand up here, like, and I teach this stuff and I study it all week, and I know, like, I know what it's, I know what the book says. Really do. And yet, and then I'd find myself getting angry, like, anger coming to expression that's crossing the line here. And you know, we have a kid in our neighborhood. I would love it if he was here this morning. We have a kid in our neighborhood, a kid, he's maybe 20. And, uh, uh something happened with our family. I don't even know, skateboarding. I, I don't know what happened, but, uh, exactly. Uh, so, but there's anger issue there. The last five years, every time he drives by this house, he honks every time I hear it almost every Saturday night when I'm getting ready to talk to you and I'm looking over my notes, I hear honk every single night. <laughs> and so, yeah, sometimes I felt like, uh, uh, yeah, you could, yeah, that's all. So, have you noticed, have you noticed sometimes the nicest people can be the nastiest and angriest people? Have you ever noticed that? All right, I'm going to press a little farther then if you are going to act like that and look like that. So you can say, uh, you can say that's right and then nobody in the row will know that I'm talking about you. Just say that's right and nobody will know I was talking about you on one, one, two, three. See, the Bible has a lot to say about anger, and while we sit in church okay, this morning, like we don't have anger issues, okay? And so, and I know that somebody in your row, I know somebody in every row in here has an anger issue. I know that to be true. And if you just look around the row, you can figure out who it is. Go ahead, look around the row. Just go ahead and do that. You know how you can figure out who it is? Because they didn't want to look around the row. All they want to do is look straight ahead. They look straight ahead. They're like, I don't have an anger issue. That's not me. Talk about the other people. I'm good. <laughs> but anger means, anger means where you're simmering, you know, uh, smoldering there. Rage is where it just boils over. It just boils over. And so uh, and then it, it can reach malice. And in, in, in a moment uh, of, of personal reflection and filtering through this, through this, through my own life, uh, I experienced uh, something with somebody that I felt feelings of malice toward them. I really did. I thought if I see them one on one, just it would not be a good thing because I have such, I have so much anger toward this person. Well, that's what can happen. It can turn into where you want to express that slanders, where you just want to assassinate them there. And so, uh, so listen to this. The Bible has much to say about anger. Human anger. Watch. James 1.20 on the screens. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. In other words, when I get angry, when you cuss somebody out there, when you flip them off, it doesn't produce God's righteousness in that person. Okay, And it's so important because we think, oh, if I get upset, I get angry, things are going to change. You know, I'll give them a piece of my mind. You know, they're going to change. You know, they only change for a moment to shut you up. That's the only thing they're going to change for, but it doesn't change them. So it's not going to produce anything good or lasting in that person there when I fly off the handle here. So the wrath of man doesn't produce God's righteousness. It says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, watch, a fool vents all his feelings. A fool has no filter. A fool has no restraint, but a wise person holds back. And so uh, you show wisdom when you hold things back here. And I'm tempted to say something to all the men out there with respect to their wives, but 
you just need to maybe think through it yourself here as this relates to you that sometimes you need to hold hold what your tongue there. And so um, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. If you can't say amen, just say ouch. Okay, just say ouch. Right on. Just say ouch. Scripture says it's not wise. It's not wise. A wise person is going to hold Hold back, build that into your life. And so the Bible says that when anger is rising up inside you and you feel like you just want to go off, you know, it says, look, think about this. Hit the pause button just for a second because, because there, again, there could be many. This is this, what this is saying is there can be fools in the rows here this morning. And so Psalm 3 8, cease from anger. Be angry, but don't sin, James says. Anger is not a sin, but anger can lead you to sin. How you express it there. God get, God, uh, gets angry, you know, with the sinner, but it doesn't lead to, to sin. And so, anyway, then verse nine. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped or put off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Okay. And so, you become a Christ follower. You have a different team. Okay. It's like changing clothes here in your notes. To live the new life, put on the best you. In Jesus, put it, put on the best you, put on the best potential you here. And this is it as I close verse 10 and put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And so you put on putting on Christ, living out the life he wants to live through you through the power of his spirit can watch this. Okay. And what you do is you are renewed. Okay. You're renewed. Um, as you learn to know your creator. And so be renewed. Uh, and so in your notes, in this new life, know God and pursue him. Know God and pursue him. And that is how. Pursue him through his word. Talk to him through prayer. Let him talk to you through his word. Pursue him. Um, this is the way that I look at it. This is how I look at it. And this is how, this is what it looks like in my own life is I want to have a disposition of life that's like this, where my eyes and the affections of my heart, my eyes and the affections of my heart are steadfast upon him, the author and the finisher of my faith. So to live life that way, living your eyes and your affections are upon him. Would you stand to your feet as we prepare to close here and respond to God in worship? And let me pray for us. And Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I hope, I pray we heard your word, your voice through your word. And when sin calls out to us this week and screams to us, it is I. By your power, may we declare, yes, but it is not I. And thank you, Lord, that as we would consider and look at whether or not we're raised with you, would you illuminate parts of our hearts that need to be illuminated? Would you show us parts of our mind that maybe aren't focused on you? And would you do the work that only you could do going where you'll only you can go and be everything that we need this day. If we don't know the Lord Jesus and you're here, to simply say yes. 
Say yes to God, yes to forgiveness. Jesus, I want you as my Savior. I need you as my King.